So we're doing this series on, it's not really a series and it's not, but it's taking the titles, the descriptions of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 and just going, and? It's taken whatever the phrase is, faithful witness, like yours last week, and? What does that mean? It's two words. You know, I can't even say it's Revelation but, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. It's Revelation chapter 1, a little bit in the middle of verse 5, you know. It was very funny. I looked, just looked at some commentaries this week. <laughs> and it said, is it, verse five, is it verse 5 we're doing, Chris? Is it? Whichever verse it is. Is it 4 that says, firstborn, faithful witness? That's fine. So it says, the three-form description of Jesus in verse 5 is really good to hold together. So, so I went, oh, because I gave Wendy the first bit last week. Because <laughs> so, it actually talks, talks about the three, the, the three persons of the Trinity, really. He is the faithful witness, he's the firstborn from the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Is that right? Oh, yeah. So, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. But we don't need that bit. Is that you next time, Chris? I think, yeah, I think it might be you with the freed from our sins, which is... The firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. It's all right. As long as it didn't break, whatever it is. Clearly, we're talking about resurrection. He's the firstborn from the dead. We're talking about resurrection. He's the first of the resurrection. The first fruits of the resurrection. First point, very simple. If he's the firstborn, it suggests they're going to be more born. Yeah? If he's the first, then there will be more. And who are the more? We are. There's been quite a few between him and us who have been raised. Because it's not talking about the resurrection on the last day. Jesus isn't raised on the last day. Jesus was raised on the third day. And is alive. And is and was. And, is, and all the stuff. You're not careful. You can keep going from each one to the next one in this passage but he's the firstborn from the dead again going to that place where we need to go but he goes first so he's a pioneer oh it says that in Hebrews isn't it he's the author and pioneer of our faith 
But he's a pioneer, not just in that he's pushing us into, not just that he's taking, but he's been there. Do you know how to get to resurrection? You are allowed to talk to me. Obedience. Obedience. Faith. These are all good answers. How did Jesus get to resurrection? He died. The only way to resurrection is through crucifixion. It's through death. Crucifying self. We don't preach about that that often. Partly because it's been preached about a lot. And for a lot of us, we need to get hold of the fact how amazing we are. I hope that video helped this morning. To see how beautiful you are. How many many of you squirmed when you saw your own pictures out there? There you go. I squirmed when the grandchildren tried to describe it to me. There you go. There was only one picture of you, I think. Oh, no, there were two. There was one of you with the kids at Restore Hope as well. I'll, uh, next time we're here, we'll, I'll use it at 10.30, next time I'm here, at the church. But we need, we need so much to know how beautiful we are, to actually then talk about... We've had it for years, haven't we? You've got to crucify self, you've got to die to self, you've got to crucify self, die to self. You've got to, oh, so myself is so rotten and horrible that I've got... That's how we've heard it. It's not what's been intended. But actually, we do still need to remember that we need to crucify self. The selfish self. The fleshly self. Not what God has made, because God designed us perfectly. The only way to resurrection is through the cross. And, that, and it's not cheap grace either. It's, we can't say, well, Jesus has done it for us, so therefore no sacrifice required on our part. The awkward thing, of course, is that is true. <laughs> no sacrifice now part makes it possible. It's only because of what Jesus has done that it's possible, yet we still need to crucify self. When I came to faith, I could give you a list of things I had to stop doing because they weren't right. And I managed to stop a couple of them immediately. And several of them took a long time. And there's still some I'm struggling with. The crucifying of self isn't a one-off. It is for Jesus because he carries no fleshly being, no sinful part of his being. He is the second Adam. He's perfect. That's why he can be the sacrifice for us. There's quite a lot of theology going on here. without using big words. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the pioneer. <coughs> Colossians 1.18 says, He, Jesus, is the head of the church. He's the beginning, oh, hello, and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. (coughs) He's the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
he's the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. You'll hear some theologians say, well, you can't quote John and Paul because they teach different things and they have a completely different take on the gospel. (laughs) Did I say that out loud? No, good. But it's rubbish. Is this the same as what we were just read in Revelation? And Revelation is John and this is Paul. Because Paul, Paul has formed the Christianity that we believe in, and and, uh, and actually it should be called, called we, we follow, we're followers of Paul, not of Christ. It's rubbish. Oh, and we keep building our theologies on one verse. Well, here's two that say the same thing. And we'll see there's more than that. He is the first, he's the pioneer, he's the resurrection. What does the resurrection do for Jesus? The firstborn from among the The resurrection restores Jesus to his place in the Godhead. It's not that he isn't part of the Godhead in his incarnate self, but it restores him to his heavenly position doesn't transform his personality, doesn't transform his being, but puts him back. He emptied himself, he came down, and now he's been lifted back up. Having been obedient to death on a cross. It says in Philippians, having been, been obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we miss the emphasis there. It was quite funny this morning in the Book of Common Prayer. Um, there was a comma, was it in the collect, Chris? There was a comma in completely the wrong place. And so I breathed at the comma because that's what you do, isn't it? That's what they're there for. And then the next half of the sentence didn't make any sense at all. Because, <laughs> of course, it actually needed to connect with what I just said. Through everybody, because we're saying it together, and, of course... I breathed, some of them didn't. Suddenly they were up. Amen. Oh, we're all together now. That's good. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's been restored to his position. And he is now participating. Not that he wasn't, but he's back in that full participation in the Godhead. He intercedes for us. He's with his Father. Remember, at the cross, it's the first time in the whole of eternity and the only time in the whole of eternity that the Father and the Son are separated. There's a a rip between them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Had the Father forsaken Jesus? No. No. But everything Jesus says is true, isn't it? But the Father hadn't. But the humanity of Jesus. Eloi, Eloi. Lama sabachthani. My God, my God. Why does this feel so horrible? Every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth is true. Well, in this instance, it's absolutely, truly describing how he feels. And is absolutely not true in objective reality. 
So careful when you use the phrase, every word that comes from Jesus' mouth is true. Apart from, and of course, as soon as you start going apart from, then your whole argument starts to disintegrate. And he's quoting scripture. But he's quoting it out of his humanity because he feels the pain. Again, I hope some of those pictures this morning just gave a bit of insight to the real... If you've not seen The Passion of, Christ, Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson film, watch it. Yeah, there's bits in it that are not accurate, but by heck, it gives you an insight. The Pope at the time, I can't remember which one it was, says, as it was, so this is. You know, yes. The only time Wendy and I have been to the cinema, watched a film, not in English, and there's been complete silence as we left. Because people are just stunned. Absolutely stunned at, uh, at how graphic it is. Of course, it, of course that's true. He didn't have a loincloth on. He was naked. He didn't have a little step to stand on when he got a bit tired. He didn't have his arms tied to the cross. He had nails driven through his wrists. It's horrible, isn't it? And beautiful. It's disgusting. And the most amazing act of love. If we do something like that, as an act of love, people will think we're mad. But it was the perfect act of love. And the world thinks he was mad. He is the firstborn from the dead. He has been restored. And as the second Adam, he has been raised back into the Godhead. And what has he taken with him now that wasn't there before? He's taken perfect humanity. I mean, Jesus was Jesus before he became Jesus. <laughs> oh, get your head around this one. Jesus was the second person of the Trinity. He was the Son of God before he was incarnate as Jesus, the Son of Mary and Joseph. And now he's been raised back to that position, but he's taken our physical humanity and our perfect, perfected souls let alone our spirits, into the Godhead. Which is why Peter can write, we didn't ask for this one, don't panic, don't look for it. Peter can write, you know, you've been given everything you need to live this godly and holy life so that you might participate in the divine nature. Well, how do I do that? Well, on one level, you just relax because Jesus has done it. He's taken us into the Godhead. Did you hear that? He has taken us into the Godhead. Oh, that's just a hold of Eastern Orthodox rubbish, isn't it? No, it's what's in the Bible. I said that a couple of times this morning, didn't I? If you disagree with what I'm teaching, I'm really sorry. Show me in the scriptures. And if you show me in the scriptures, I promise you I change. Because I'm not going to teach anything that's not biblical. Well, I'm not going to enter into a slanging match where it goes, 
Well, it's not biblical. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it, I'm not going to go there either because it's no point. He's taken us up. So the first, I've not got a firstborn yet. Firstborn from the dead. He, he, it. Just stop myself saying something completely heretical there. But now I'm wondering whether it really is. The resurrection has restored and put Jesus back to where he is. And should be. I was about to say it changed him. And it did and it didn't. <laughs> didn't change who he was, but changed where he was. Didn't change his person, but changed, you know. He moved from the reality that he is full of authority to the absolute statement that he is full of authority. I could play you several pieces of music that have tried to um, represent resurrection. Handel, in Handel's Messiah. There's always a trumpet sound. One of the best ones I've ever heard is in Mahler's Second Symphony. If you're into that, have a look. It's the end of the, the, end of the first section of the first section. <laughs> And there's this brass fanfare. And it gets more and more crunchy. Do you know what I mean by that? So it's not just a you know, bum, ba 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 bum, ba ba ba. The different instruments start playing, and, it, and, and you feel yourself going, oh, because it, it gets more and more intense, and it gets, wow, well, and then suddenly, all the instruments play the same note. And inwardly I go, Whoa, that must have been the resurrection. Because it's the pain and the, uh, and, it's, uh, and it's resolved. Bang. Interesting coming out of the mind and the pen of a secular Jewish man. Didn't believe in any of it. But the symphony is called the Resurrection Symphony. You know, in the resurrection, it means that he's alive forevermore, don't you? He's raised from the dead, and he is alive forevermore. How do we know he's alive forevermore? I spoke to him today. People think we're mad. I tell you what, if this isn't true, we're to be pitied beyond all people. Oh, I'm quoting Paul again, aren't I? <clears throat> but even Paul recognises that. If, if we've got this wrong, we're, we're beyond it. But we haven't. Because we know. Why is Jesus alive forevermore? I think for some people, and if this is not for you, that's fine. I think for some people, they, if you say, well, Jesus is alive, they go, well, yes, he's in me. Because I've been trying to get you to say that. Where is Jesus now? He's in me. That's right. But he's not, he doesn't live forevermore because he dwells in us. He lives forevermore. 
And he shares that with us. It's a completely different perspective. I'm a Gloria carrier. I'm a Jesus carrier. I'm full of the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit because he gives it to me. He, he doesn't give it to me because he's in me. He's in me. Uh, it's all by grace. This is what it says in Psalm 89, verse 27. I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. If you were worried that I just had two New Testament scriptures to build this on, there's an Old Testament one just to slip underneath as well. I will appoint him my firstborn. So not only is he first, he is sovereign. Remember the bit in, in Colossians, it said it, to give him the supremacy. Christ is supreme. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the head of the church. He is the highest of the high. Do you know why? Because he's God. So that might be a little bit of a simplistic answer, but it's still the truth. Oh, and he's defeated sin. Oh, and the devil, and the world. And he's been raised from the dead. But actually, what defines him as supreme is that he is God. He needn't have done any of those things and he would still be supreme. He is the firstborn. He is sovereign. Glasses on. I must learn to write bigger, mustn't I? It would be easier, wouldn't it? Matthew 4, verses 8 to 10. No, so, so Matthew 4, verses 8 to 10. Not Matthew 8, verse 10. I must learn to write bigger so Chris can read it as well. <laughs> Are we there, Johnny? Bless you, mate. Thank you. So this is the um, temptation. Thank you. This is the temptation. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship to me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What is Satan offering him? He's offering him all the kingdoms of the world. Louder. He already has them. Has Satan missed the point? Do you know who Satan thinks Jesus is at this point? I think he thinks he's a man. I'm sure he thinks he's a man. A special man who's been called, and this is, this is more, or I'll bribe him with what humanity normally gives into. Power, authority, wealth. And Jesus says, that won't wash. That's what it says up there, isn't it? 
No, sorry. <laughs> Away from me, Satan. Because it, it's his already. And this is at the beginning of his ministry, and he's aware enough to know this is his already. He's offered by Satan, which is that which is already his by right. Thought I better read that one out properly. And it's by right his, but through his obedience to his father and his vindication through the resurrection, he is restored to that place. And he's over the kings of the earth. Ready for a slightly thought-provoking twist? The kings of the earth could be translated the earthly powers. So is this just the secular powers? Or is this the powers of the prince of this earth? Is it the kings of this earth or is it the demonic powers? Answer, probably? Yes. yes. But our translation, sorry, in Revelation, sort of miss, misses the spiritual dynamic of it. If you find that one pushed too hard, that's fine. Back up. The fact that it's king of kings is fine. But, hmm. And if you're worried about that translation, I found it in, a, in the... Um, commentary by John Stott. So, I mean, it's probably quite, it's probably quite a decent translation. It's not, it's not some raving charismatic <laughs> trying to make a point, you know. <coughs> he is the one who rules over creation. The secular powers and the earthly powers. And he is, he rules. And remember, sovereignty doesn't mean he controls them. The Queen is our sovereign, but she doesn't control what you and I do. You have laws of... Even passing laws of the land doesn't control what you do, does it? Ask the police. Oh, ask Moses. He published laws, and everybody went, yeah, no. Moses went this way, and they all went, nah. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, the pioneer, the one that shows us what it is like to be raised from the dead, just as we have been. We are raised with Christ till we can get the taste and the flavour and the participation of that now. Fully, when we're dead, that's why we need to die within. That's why we need to crucify self. So that, yeah. And he is sovereign. He has supremacy. He is the king over the earth and the earthly powers. And if he rules over creation, if he has sovereignty over creation, will this planet blow up one moment before he's ready for it to? No. Doesn't mean we don't look after it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be good stewards of it. Doesn't mean that we... But should we be scared of that? No. 
Does it mean this virus will, will destroy the whole planet? No. Because he's promised us through the rainbow that he won't destroy the whole planet and he's the one that sustains creation. Does it mean our way of life and the way we do things will be sustained forever? No. I was thinking about this. I don't know why. It, you know, you, sometimes you watch these films that are set in the future and are dystopian films. And it's all gone madly wrong. I bet if we brought somebody from the, just from the early 1800s, only a couple of centuries ago, and stood them in the middle of Amersham now, they'd go, what the heck is this? And for them, it would be a dystopian future. But it's normal for us, because it's where we live. He rules over created order. And he rules over you and me. And actually, he rules over everybody, but we've chosen to submit to him. So does he look after your well-being? Completely. Yeah. Can you trust him with every ounce of your well-being? With your financial provision? With your relationships? Doesn't look at anybody with your health. With absolutely everything. Now, being obedient and coming in and aligning with his truth means we experience those things more readily. But it doesn't mean he doesn't provide them. You know what? He must be so frustrated. Actually, he can't be, can he? That's not in, his, not in his nature. But, you know, he's going, Neil, you're worried about money. You're worried about money. Here you are. No, no, no. He's <laughs> going, here you are. Take it. Take it. It's yours. You don't want it. Right, well, I'll try and give it to Cathy then. She doesn't want it either. It's like, why are they struggling? Why are they worrying? Why is it going wrong? Because all they've got to do is, thank you. And, oh, done or even before he gets there you're going thank you for what you're about to give me because you know he said he's going to give it to you and do you know what let's push the analogy shall we and then please apply the analogy to to health to relationships to anything right here's a check here's your provision it's for you thank you it's not going to clear for 10 years but it's still provision. And it might be provision beyond what you can ever want. You're going to go, well, actually, <laughs> and throw it away, because it hasn't cleared. Yeah. What have you done to it? Oh, <laughs> I'm so down. Sometimes the impact of the provision isn't immediate. Sometimes we have to wait. I promise to take you, Israelites, from captivity to the promised land. Okay? Oh, yeah. Come on, then. Let's go. Oh, 40 years later. Can you imagine being in that last group 40 years on? And you go, is this ever going to end? I wonder how many people gave up in that last few months. Because it had been going on so long. But that was the moment it was coming to fruition.
When Isaiah said the Messiah is to come, how many centuries later? 800? 600? Oh, I can't remember. Depends when you date Isaiah, I suppose, isn't it? But a while. And they never saw it. But Isaiah believed it. He is sovereign. I want to ask you to do three things as we come to worship. Getting more and more subtle with my clues, aren't I? I want you to do three things. Recognize that this sovereign God dwells in you. That this everlasting God dwells in you. That this ever-providing God dwells in you. That this one who came to give you abundant life dwells in you. That that abundant life dwells in you. Recognize it. Agree with it. And then, along with me, maybe repent of the unbelief that says, I believe it, Lord, but I'm not sure. I, I believe it, Lord, but... Somebody said to us a long time ago, you can't be a yebbet in the kingdom of God. You can't say, yes, Lord, but... Yes, Lord means, yes, Lord. In fact, you can't say Lord and but. As soon as you say but, is he Lord in practice? So, recognize what's there. Repent of the unbelief. Do you know what the third thing is? Worship him. I don't mean worship him. I mean worship him. Not from here. Not just from here. Actually, those on recording, that's not going to help, is it? First time I patted my head, the second time I pointed at my lips. We're not on video, are we? <laughs> I looked straight down the camera when I did it, but the <laughs> camera's not on. It's not just about our thoughts, though that's important. It's not just about our words, though we need to declare it. It's worshipping him, and it's not even from our hearts. It's from all of that. Do you know what happens then? Church stops being a hobby. Coming together stops being something that's quite nice to do. But becomes an absolutely essential part of who we are. Not because it makes Laurie look good at the diocese. Not because it pays the interns, well, non-wages. But because he is worth it.